Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton, a 19-year-old from the Bay Area studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. She Persisted is the teen mental health podcast made for teenagers by a teen. In each episode, I'll bring you authentic, accessible, and relatable conversations about every aspect of mental wellness. You can expect evidence-based teen-approved resources, coping skills, including lots of DBT, insights, and education in each piece of content you consume. She Persisted offers you a safe space to feel validated and understood in your struggle while encouraging you to take ownership of your journey and build your life worth living. So let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode. I am running late for the airport as we are recording this intro, so this is going to be short and sweet. But today's guests are the founders of The Therapy Group and hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. You should check out both of those amazing content for both. The Therapy Group is located in Philadelphia. So if you are Philly located, they have a therapy practice with tons of therapists you can work with. So link in the show notes. But today's guests are Emily Beerley, LMFT, and Jennifer Chaikin, LMFT. Together, they founded both the therapy group and host the Shrink Tricks podcast. They both still practice as therapists. They have so much wisdom and insight to share about the therapy world, their own experiences, sharing what it's like from the other perspective. So this conversation is hilarious. It's amazing. I know you're going to gain so much insight from it. So while I go to the airport, let's dive in. Thank you guys so much for coming on She Persisted. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. We are Thank you so for having us. Yes. Wait, because we love a Philly babe. We, we love do. We do. I'm so it, excited. As oh. soon as you said Philly, we were in. That was it. That's all you needed from us. <laughs> that was we're the so only excited. thing in the pitch email. Yes. <laughs> I'm from Philly. Come on my podcast. <laughs> I live. I'm at UPenn, right? But I will also say this. Listen, like podcasting wasn't a thing when we were in college. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. Cynthia, would have been. Yeah, that's probably for the best for us. But. Also, the fact that you're sitting here doing this unbelievable thing to make it accessible, to destigmatize therapy, like we have to also start with like thanking you as well, because like this is why your generation is the best generation, in my opinion, because you're just going to do it so much better. And I wish that we had people when I was a freshman in college having horrific, part of the reason we became therapists is because we had horrific experiences in therapy. And we were like, we could do this better. And for both of us, a lot of that had to do with college. Okay, so I would love to dive into that. That Yeah, college. I think college was maybe one of the roughest mental health times. Yeah, it's really tough. I've done a couple of episodes recently, and I think Penn especially doesn't have the best reputation with mental health. And going into it, like I feel like my mental health has been good, if not better than it's been before. And it's all about like the different boundaries that I set up, the different habits I put in place that allowed me to do that. But if you're going into college with no experience of managing your mental health, not knowing what to expect with the independence, not knowing what your priorities are, it's super overwhelming. And it's like a surefire way to struggle and feel very overwhelmed because there's so much on your plate. Absolutely. And just, yeah, just the pressure of college and then also the lack of resources, right? How many people are waiting months on a waiting list to get into a CAPS program, a counseling program at their school because there's simply just enough, not enough money across the board, no matter what you're doing, there's not enough money put into mental health. And so you're so amazing. You can sit here and be like, oh, here are A, B, and C, all the things that I did. Most people would be like, 
I prepared for college by like buying this right stuff for my dorm, which is yes. super cool too. <laughs> That's like, fun no to do. <laughs> like, also no did shades, that. Right, right, part of no it. shade to that, but very few of us are thinking about like, okay, how do I like mentally, emotionally, psychologically prepare myself for such a massive life transition? Yeah. And I think some of that too comes from the work that you do on yourself before you even get into college, right? Mm -hmm. And right now we're seeing such a huge mental health crisis with adolescents. You know, we see it in our practice that they're coming in. There's, and so adolescents are really struggling. And so you're, you know, the fact that you did so much work to, to get yourself to this point really speaks to that, how you're managing it in college. Yeah. It's funny. Like what I was thinking about moving away and going across the country I was like wait but I've done this before like I've lived in treatment like this is the second time around the block but that's not the experience for so many teenagers and it's Mm -hmm. so overwhelming and so if I can like take the little bits and pieces that I learned and share whatever was helpful I hope that someone will listen and be able to implement these things because not enough people are talking about it it's not widely enough discussed and and some of these things are really simple it's like getting enough sleep it's making sure that your basic needs are met it's having enough people in your community that are checking in on you it's making sure you're feeling your emotions and not suppressing them and not overwhelming yourself with commitment so it's small things you just have to be aware of and make sure that you're prioritizing so that you don't become mm. overwhelmed absolutely it's the okay. basic things that we forget yes. Exactly. So I would love to dive into, like you guys kind of touched on why you became therapist and then that background of your experiences in therapy, because I think it'll also be helpful for listeners to hear like, wait, that was my experience as well. Like maybe it doesn't have to be like that. So talk to me about your backgrounds and why you became therapists. You want me to start? Yes, you go first. (laughs) Okay. My princess. You know, growing up, I would say I was a pretty depressed child into my adolescence and, and had some, I actually had a really great experience as a child in therapy. I had a really wonderful therapist, but I remember that the way in which therapy was introduced to me was don't tell anyone about this. You have to go to therapy. Don't talk about this. It was talked about as a punishment. It was talked about as a secret, but that was my first experience in therapy. It was also something I very much was a very sensitive child. I'm a sensitive adult. So I very much gravitated to that role of helping people, taking care of people. So it was a natural fit. But then as I got into my adolescence, as I, you know, when I entered into college, I started to have other therapeutic experiences with therapists that had a little bit of a clinical wall. It was very difficult to connect to them. And so So that, you know, kind of skewed my view of therapy a bit until, and I always, you know, I I majored in psychology in undergrad. So it's, it was always something I was very interested in, but I was always told, you know, you're not going to be by my parents. You're not, you're really not going to be able to make any money as a therapist. (laughs) So listen to them. And I went into marketing and had the worst year of my life right after college and was like, listen, I'm just going to go do what feels right for me. And sometimes you have to make a mistake and do something that you really hate in order for it to drive you into something you really love. So I then applied to grad school, met Emily and the rest was history. Well, it's funny thing, because for as much as Jen is, we always talk about often, often a family system, which is where family systems therapists, there's, there's multiple kids, there's an imploder and an exploder. Jen is an imploder. She keeps it inside. She will destroy herself within. I (laughs) 
am an exploder. <laughs> so for me, adolescence was an eating disorder, self-injurious behavior, a borderline uh, personality uh, disorder diagnosis, a bipolar, you know, everything because I, my adolescence was, this feels off, but yeah. I do not keep my stuff inside. I go the other. And so uh, I had a similar experience where I had some positive experience and then I had a lot of negative experiences. One of those is in a residential uh, treatment center. One of those was in a PHP program or partial hospitalization program for people who don't know. And then I got to college and every experience I had in college was super negative. Every therapist did not get me. I really, really struggled. And Jen and I are both petty bitches that we were like, we could probably do this better. <laughs> and so I actually went to school to, to be a teacher, did the first half of my student teaching and was like, oh no, I'm not made to this be around children. <laughs> this is not, this is, this should not it for me. I went, I went into my advisor. I was at Penn State. I went to my advisor and I said, what can I switch into that will not keep me like I like I can't keep staying at this school. So yeah. what can I transfer into that I'm still going to graduate like just one semester behind? And she said, oh, human development and family studies. And I said, well, what the fuck is that? And she said, basically means you go to grad school. I was like, okay, great. I'll buy myself some more, <laughs> some more time. Perfect. But I was always the person that people wanted. I always liked talking to people and I was very interested in talking to people specifically about their relationships, especially about their families and really about sex. And so Jen and I both ended up in graduate school at Thomas Jefferson University because they have a sex therapy specialization, a couples therapy specialization. We both knew we wanted to do something along those lines. But even with our specialties, the thing that has come back to us that speaks to our soul over and over and over again is the fact that I believe therapy is for everyone, just not every therapist is for everyone. And so if we can make, there are certain people, probably a lot of people that listen to this podcast that like, maybe you're already cool with going to therapy, but there's a lot of people that are not. There's a lot of people that it is still stigmatized. There's little people that still, or they had one really negative experience and they're like, I will never go to therapy again. And so I really believe the more we can convince people that there is the right therapist for you somewhere, even if it wasn't the first one you found, that it can be incredibly life-changing. I think that's so true. And I think it's especially difficult for teens and adolescents because a lot of the time they're not as involved in the decision making process. Yes. And their parents have found this person and yes. they're like, this person with like 45 years of experience with adults, this yes. is the one. Yeah. And you're like, no. Or they're like, this is a child therapist. And they're yeah. like offering you sticker charts. And yes. you're like, no. So it's can be difficult to yeah. find that match. And it requires a lot more advocating for yourself and especially if you haven't been to therapy before being like I don't think this is right you're like well maybe this is just what therapy is so it can be really difficult to differentiate if it's not the right fit or if this is just a new experience for you well I love what you said about someone else picking it out the number one thing you have to do when you're finding the right therapist is like you know because you can get word of mouth referrals, which are cool too, but just because they were the, and that's why I say like therapies for everyone, but not that every therapist is for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So your best friend can have a therapist they love and that is not the right match for you. So like you do have to do some of that work. The same thing we're talking about is like taking personal radical responsibility. Do I get enough sleep? Do I take, and am I taking command of my own life and healing? Yeah. And the one thing we know that the most important predictor of therapeutic success is the relationship that you, you build with your therapist. Yeah. And so often 
people like people stay in romantic relationships that aren't right for them. People stay in therapeutic relationships that maybe aren't right for them. And they don't know that there's anything else. And so we recommend to therapist shop. We recommend to advocate for yourself, to make sure that you're finding someone who is the right fit for you. And as you were saying with the, the adolescence piece, I think so often because the parents are recommending a therapist, the adolescent already feels like, oh, this therapist is aligned with my parents. Right. And if you're, if you're fighting up against your parents, right. And you want to become your own person, you want to be able to speak your truth. When you already feel like the therapist is aligned with your parents, there's already that, you know, breach of trust in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think advocating for yourself as an adolescent, like doing the work, you know, whether it's with your parents or whether it's, it can be really, really helpful in, in choosing the right therapist. Yeah. The best therapist relationships that I've had as a teenager are the ones where you go in and the first thing they say is like, okay, yes, your parents are paying me. Like, yes, they helped research, but I'm your therapist. I'm on your side. I'm in your corner. Yes, they may give advice or try and like put things on the agenda, but I'm first and foremost here to help you. And just setting that boundary at the beginning and making it very clear that that's kind of how things stand. Just like if you were an adult, like some random friend that was like, I think this is what you should talk about in therapy. You'd be like, okay, thanks, but no. (laughs) Same thing for if your parents are like, let's add this to the agenda. Like it's not their session most of the time, unless you're doing family therapy, which is a whole other burden to tackle. Totally, totally. Well, something that a lot of people don't know is, and this obviously depends on state, but like in the state of Pennsylvania, at 14 years old, you get to consent to your own treatment, meaning at 14 years old, they can't tell your parents anything without a release of information. Now, that varies by state if you have listeners from a lot of different places. But 14, at 14, we still think that our parents take care of everything for us. Yeah. We're like, we think our parents are in everything. You do have rights. It's something that we should all think of as we get older and we become parents ourselves is we should empower our kids to know this information and to respect that privacy and time. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And it definitely makes me think about so many experiences that I had at a therapeutic boarding school that I went to that was definitely in the troubled teen industry. And I'm such a big advocate for for treatment and therapy because it was so helpful. And there's also this other side of things where I was like, well, that experience was not as helpful and really illuminates like what was helpful. And that advocating for yourself, that privacy, that at 14 consenting to treatment, like that wasn't totally there because your parents were the ones that were much much more involved. Kids were getting sent to treatment regardless of if they wanted to be there or not. And in the long term, you just saw that people that were being forced to be there, they weren't dedicated. They weren't involved in the process. They would jump through hoops like myself included just to get out. And it wasn't really truly effective or helpful in seeing long-term results. Absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by Sakara. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. They have plant-based, gluten-free, non-GMO meal delivery services, as well as wellness essentials that you can buy online. My two favorite things that I recommend getting are their detox drops. They are little chlorophyll drops that you can add to your water. They don't add a taste, but you get all the benefits of chlorophyll. It's a super easy thing to add to your routine. My other favorite of theirs is their lunches and breakfast. Their lunches are mostly bowls and salads, and they are ready to go delivered to your door for the week. So you don't have to worry about prepping a lunch or cooking something if you're at home. You have your salad ready to go, and they're delicious with the best of the best ingredients and they taste amazing. Their breakfasts are also so good. 
so easy, especially if you have a really rushed morning routine, you're on the go, heading to school, work, whatever it is. Highly recommend checking those out. So if you want to check out Sakara, you can use the link in today's show notes or use code exosadie at checkout for 20% off your first order. Again, code exosadie at checkout for 20% off your first order of meal delivery and wellness essentials. So I would love to hear from you guys what you like to see in clients. Obviously not like what diagnoses or like what presentations, but what is someone who brings a lot to the table and you're like, they want to be here, they're invested. What helps a session run smoothly, especially for people that are like, I've never been to therapy, but I want to try it out and I want to make sure I'm giving it my best shot. What is your guys' recommendations? Well, yeah. I was just, so I I think there's a lot of things that play into that. So we're probably just going to go back and forth with this, (laughs) but because the fact of the matter is everyone comes to therapy at different stages in their readiness or willingness to do any sort of change or work or dive into trauma. And so I want to say everything with the caveat of we first and foremost, empathize with the fact that everyone comes in at different stages and that's okay. Part of our job is meeting the clients where they are. And so, you know, I I would say we don't necessarily have an expectation on you have to come in at this very specific time in order for us to do good work. I think something that is really helpful is going into therapy and it not just being the 50 minutes in therapy that you're doing the work, that you're also taking what you talk about in therapy outside of the room. And you're thinking about it, you're processing it, maybe you're doing some homework that the therapist gave. But I think that that's that's one thing that's really helpful is to take what you're learning in therapy and bring it outside, right? Because we're only there for 50 minutes. If we were there for the entire week, you know, that would be really rough, right? You don't want us to follow you around. You want to be able to No, I've done the intensive treatment, done the five times a week. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Right. So you don't want a therapist 24 seven. You you want to be able to take the things you learn and, and, and really apply them. So I would say everyone's unique in what they're bringing in. And, and, and I think an important thing to note too, is that we understand that sometimes it might take years to dive into some really tough trauma or some things that you never told anyone about, that it's not our expectation that you come in. You can, if you feel ready for that, absolutely. We're right there with you, but it isn't if you're a year, two years into therapy and you're thinking, I haven't told my therapist this and I feel like it's too late. It is never too late. It actually happens so often that clients will come in and they they don't disclose something to you after a year, two years, because sometimes it, it really takes time to build that trust and build that therapeutic relationship in order to feel safe enough to do so. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that, so I have two main things that come up. So one is how are you spending, right? So what Jen said is that like 50 minutes once a week, like realistically, if you did anything one time a week for 50 minutes and then just like counteracted it the rest of the week, like it wouldn't be that ideal, right? So one of those is like, yes. And in those 50 minutes, am I talking about myself or other people? There is this part, a lot of times we end up in therapy because the people in life, right? There's like a quote that says like, you're in therapy because other people in your life aren't therapy. I think that's <laughs> true. But if you end up spending the entire time talking about your roommate's shitty boyfriend, I don't get to hear about you, why it hurts you, why it triggers you, 
why it brings up from you, right? So are you bringing it back to yourself? A lot of us are become resentful of people in our life because we make it all about them. And then we pay money and spend 50 minutes making it about them even more. So yeah. how do I bring it back to myself, right? Because the only person I can actually control and change is me. Am I really prioritizing that in those sessions? Additionally, I also think if you have an issue with your therapist, if we say something that hurts you, if we say something that's off the mark, say it. One of the best things you can do is to use the therapeutic relationship as a model and an experience for other relationships in your life. So if you're someone who struggles with conflict, have a conflict with your therapist. If you're struggle, if you're someone with who struggles with saying no, say no to your therapist when they need to switch that session time, right? Like what are the things, how am I actually practicing and using the therapeutic relationship to then grow my relationships outside of the room? Mm -hmm. I think that's so true. And I think like if there's anyone that you want to challenge a relationship dynamic with, it's the person that spent years in school and does this <laughs> professionally with people all week. Like, uh -huh. And that's, that's that is that is exactly the point I was going to make is that like we are trained to make sure that we can hold that space for you in whatever, whatever that looks like, right? It's we welcome feedback. We welcome you to come in and, and say certain things to us that maybe bought, right? Like, oh, in the last session, you said this thing to me and it really triggered this for mm -hmm. me. Can we talk about that? It's actually so important and kind of essential for us to be able to help you do that work because for you to be able to bring that into therapy and, and work through that in your therapeutic relationship allows you to take that and bring it into your relationships outside of therapy. So the mm -hmm. work that you do sometimes in the session, you can bring outside into your other relationships. Yeah. And we make mistakes all the time, right? Like I've We're had- human. Oh my gosh. I had a client, um, a few months ago who I have worked with this person for years and years and years. We have an amazing relationship. I love them dearly. We talk a lot. And she came into a session and she said, Oh, I have to bring up this thing. And she said, don't get into advice giving mode. She said to me, right. <laughs> and you want to know what I think I would have, because the thing that she brought up was something we had done on this work on, we had done this thing, but she, that wasn't where she was at right now. And she was able to ask for exactly what she needed. And that shouldn't have been her job in the room. But the fact that she was able to do that after all this You've work done together, work. yeah. And done I was job. able to say, you are so right. Let's just hear this today. It's just process. Let's just be quiet around this, right? Like that is powerful because then it also showed her she's allowed to say that to people all over. Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't go great, even if people are reactive, once you have it start to happen, once you, once you start to have something, you start to feel empowered, that's mastery. That's how we build self-esteem. Self-esteem is not built from somebody telling you you're pretty and smart and lovely, although those are lovely things to do. Self-esteem is built through mastery, keeping promises to yourself and growing yourself in that way. Yeah, I love that. And I also really like what you guys mentioned about how you don't necessarily need to bring everything on day one. I also think for my own therapy journey, the beginning, I would just go there and I would like at times literally run out the clock. My parents who were paying for the I would sit silently. Oh, there was society. no talking. Nothing. I would stare at the clock 
and I would do nothing. No. I feel so bad for this therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I was not the star client. But and no wonder she didn't pick up on like my extreme depression diagnosis right. because I would sit there and stare at the ground and do nothing for the whole hour. But I've gotten so much more out of therapy if I bring something that I want to talk about in session, set some kind of agenda, think about what's been bugging me this week. And it doesn't have to be like some deep belief system or trauma that you've experienced. Sometimes I'm like, my goal for this week is I want to improve my habits. I'm going to try and work out this number of times and I just cannot do it. What do we do to address that? Or like I have these school assignments that I'm really struggling with procrastination. What are the tips there? How can I make sure I get that done? So it's little things. It doesn't have to be super deep, but you're at least getting some need met and something that you're going through addressed. And then you leave the session more prepared to navigate that. I love that you brought that up because I think that there is a preconceived notion about what you need to be bringing into therapy and every session can look different. And yeah. it's such a journey and such a process, right? I think there's this idea if you're going into therapy, oh, it means you're going to talk about your childhood wounds for like years and years and years. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, yeah, some sessions are like that, but they don't have to be. And part of the process is going, going deep and then coming back up and going deep and then coming back up, right? There's a level mm -hmm. of safety that's created in that. So I love that so much because I really think that that dispels a myth of you have to go into every session in a certain way. And that's not true. Yeah. What other myths do you guys commonly hear people, whether it's from clients, whether it's people in your community that they have about therapy, about treatment, about mental health, that you're like, that is just so absolutely not true. And I wish pe more people knew this. So we, we actually just talked about one of these on a podcast because we we're couples therapists too. This idea that if you're going to couples therapy, there might there must be something really wrong in the relationship where we actually recommend couples therapy at any point in the relationship. Yeah. Because couples tend to go to couples therapy seven years too late. Oh my goodness. Wow. And they come in and they're already out the door and there's no work that can be done in that point. So mm -hmm. in terms of couples therapy, I would say that's, that's one big one is that I believe that you, cause no one ever taught us how to be in a relationship, right? Like yeah. that's, and being in a relationship is very difficult. And especially right? if you're modeling from the relationships you've seen in your life and they're not healthy or they're not exactly. good dynamics, it's like, okay, we need to get some help. Here. 100%. And yep. there's unfortunately so much shame around that, but it really is. We find it so important to just do that maintenance, to learn about your partner, to learn about yourself can be so incredibly helpful in your, in your romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. I think another really big myth we talk about a lot is that you should leave every therapy session feeling better. Yeah. There's that's not true. That not, no, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes like, I leave therapy and I'm like, oh yes, my a God. lot of times it sucks, right? So like I think people think like, oh, I should feel so amazing when I walk out the door. Like, no, like we're not giving you like <laughs> we're not giving you like an oxycodone and then you're walking that's out. The right? Psychiatrist, that's like, not what job. Right? <laughs> a lot of times you feel worse. So I think one thinking that like everything is going to feel amazing and perfect and wonderful and rose colored glasses and that's toxic positivity bullshit. And I would also say thinking that it's going to, one of the things that makes it difficult, especially in college campuses is sometimes you only get like five to 10 sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, which is, which is so cool if you're dealing with like world. one yeah. roommate issue and you're like, this is, I just had, we got to do this. We're just like talking this out. And maybe you only need five sessions to do that. But for a lot of us, we need more than five to 10 sessions. Yeah. So having this expectation on how long it will or should take 
can sometimes set us up for feeling disappointed or feeling like we're not doing enough and feeling like we're failing at therapy. Like that's not how this is. It is Mm -hmm. not one size fits all. It is not one perfect thing. And I also think that all therapists are exactly the same. There's so many different modalities of therapy. You have to find the right one for you, right? Like, so maybe CBT works, but DBT doesn't or DBT does, but a somatic doesn't, right? And there's so many different types. And I know that can be really confusing because we don't, one, once again, we don't educate on anyone on mental health. We're not mm-hmm. like, hey, here's the different types of therapy. We'll say you're doing that, but we're not doing that in high <laughs> we school. We try. <laughs> right, right. We're, we're not best. doing that in like high school. Yeah. Like, we know when we should be learning like mental health and our taxes. Mainly, we just assume everything's the same. So not all therapies created equal, not all therapists are the same. So it's not easy and it's not simple and it takes time and the expectations can make us feel a lot of disappointment around this experience. Another, another one that I want to mention is that, you know, your therapist very much cares about you and thinks about you outside of your session. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, sometimes, you know, if people think about mental health, are you just doing it for the money or you're just right? Or you have to care about me because I'm paying for you. That is actually so not true. We've so care for our clients and we think about you outside of, outside of your session. We think about how you're doing. We think about what's going on for you. And we still need money to eat. We still need money to <laughs> eat. True. That like is true. Every job. You have to, you still have to, we right. need to get paid, right? right? Everyone's got to do loans. But both things very much exist. Both things are very, can, can exist in the it's same dialect plane. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we very, very much care about our clients. I love that. So you guys work in family systems. I would love to hear about what that is. We talked about learning about the different types of therapy. Talk to me about that modality and how that shows up, whether it's like couples therapy, with teenagers, with adults, all of that. So yeah, so we're trained, uh, we're licensed marriage and family therapists, which what that actually means is that we are trained in family systems. So we look at everything within the context around it. It doesn't mean that we only, we work with a lot of couples and families, but we also work with a lot of individuals. It just means when I work with you as an individual, I'm also thinking about all the different systems you come from. So how work impacts you, how your family of origin impacts you, how intergenerational trauma affects you. And so we're just looking at everyone as part of a larger system for me to understand how to best help you because we believe relationships really matter. It's incredibly popular in this day and age to say like, let's let's just cut people off. But actually what we try to get people to do is to not cut people off, to have hard, uncomfortable, frustrating conversations for growth. And that is what a lot of family systems is. So really looking at the context of the situation that Sadie, everything you've been through in your life also is a product of all the systems you've been a part of. And something, something that can be really helpful with that work is helping you to not recreate patterns in your family systems that maybe were dysfunctional, or maybe we're not working for you. Mm -hmm. So helping, you know, if we're working with an individual or we're working with a couple, helping you recognize the patterns that you might be recreating in your current relationships, you might not even be realizing it or recognizing it. So helping you gain that awareness. So that if you're bringing something into your relationships that was once serving you or was normalized in your families, but is no longer serving you and is hurting Mm -hmm. you in some way to help you acknowledge that and help you make changes to that. So one of the things you might, that might happen in the first few sessions with an MFT is we ask you about three generations back. I also want to know about your parents and their story about their grandparents, right? Because we also believe that like, 
it's easy to blame the parents, but like, how do we have empathy and understand why people are the way that they are? We mm -hmm. truly believe everyone has a story. And part of um, family systems is also narrative therapy, where we believe people have stories that they write, and we also get to rewrite them at any time. So what's the story I'm telling myself about who I am? What's the story I tell myself about my parents? What's the story my parents have about me? And this goes for like, you know, the stories people put onto you as well. People make you out to be a certain way once you have a mental health diagnosis at a young age and it actually says very little about your future yeah yeah no and if anything I found that having had a diagnosis early on I feel more equipped to navigate any challenges or emotions that arise like I was so sensitive to any like environmental stressor or trigger when I was like a teenager and really really struggling and the other day my friend was like nothing really phases you like you're pretty chill and I was like that is such a compliment because that so did not used to be the case but it's like I've built up this ability to cope with the things that come at me and know how to navigate the emotions that arise and if anything that's a huge strength because most people learn that way later on in life oh yeah I always tell everyone it's better to have your breakdown in your teens and your 20s right? because if not you come in my office and you have it in your 50s which is fine too we're always going to make it work but i like a nice existential breakdown early on totally let's even as a open. child let's get, get this to work get through it because you really you know exactly. when you get when you get through it you learn a set of coping skills as you're saying that are so beneficial to mm -hmm. you as an adult also logistically like i took a semester off of school did a year and a half of treatment like when else are you going to have time for that and it didn't impact college <laughs> i was still able to turn things around like earlier on guys it's the move i promise a hundred percent and you created an incredible mission out of it and an incredible podcast which is unbelievable thank you i appreciate that today's episode is brought to you by nut pods Nut Pods creamers are plant-based, Whole30 approved, kosher, non-GMO, vegan, and gluten-free, and they have zero grams of sugar per serving. What I love about Nut Pods is you can stock up on your favorite creamers, and because they're plant-based, you don't have to refrigerate them as soon as you buy them. So I'll get like three or four containers. I will keep them in my dorm, but not in the fridge because the mini fridge space is precious. So I will put whichever container I'm currently using in the fridge. The rest will just put in storage. My favorite flavors are sweet cream and French vanilla. They are delicious and they taste like they have sugar in them, which we love. Make sure to get sweetened unless you like unsweetened creamers, in which case they have those as well. And they also just came out with a new oat milk. So I will add sweetened creamer to that. Blend it, is that the right word, with my little like milk frother thingy that I got on Amazon and it tastes just like a Starbucks sweet cream cold foam. So highly recommend trying their new barista oat milk as well as their creamers. You can use code SHEPERSISTEDPODCAST at checkout for 15% off your order or use the link in today's show notes. So code SHEPERSISTEDPODCAST for 15% off. Check it out. I promise you will enjoy and it'll just add a little more yumminess to your morning routine. So we talked about kind of rewriting narratives, having empathy for people in your life. Are there other lessons that you will often that clients are often learning in therapy that they are applying these insights that they have that they're like whoa I've never thought about it that way before that you're often helping people work through 
I know that's a very vague question. No, well, well, all day, every day. Yeah, like constantly. <laughs> so, so I think you know one of the big things that I you know just mentioned and to dive into a you know a little deeper is that sometimes we learn ways of surviving as yeah. children that were once so functional for us, right? So, for example, if you know when you were a child, expressing your emotions wasn't allowed, right? So the way in which you dealt with that was to hold it in and not tell anyone how you felt. Not that this is a personal experience at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And so, but as you get older, that is the, that is something that helped you survived when you were a child, right? Because expressing your emotions was not going to be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. But as you get, as you turn into an adult and you get into relationships, not expressing your emotions actually ends up hurting you, right? You're not a willing participant in your relationships. If you're not willing to express your emotions, you're not letting anyone else know how you feel. There's no way for anyone to know. So there's something when you take the the things that you learned that helped you survive at one point of, in your life and you bring them into adulthood and you don't even realize that you're doing it. You don't even realize that these things are hurting you. Really learning how to relinquish that and recognize that you no longer need those coping me mechanisms as a way to survive, I think is a big aha moment. Sometimes it takes people a while to get there because it's so terrifying to let go of the things that were once so incredibly helpful for you. You were surviving. They kept you alive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they kept you connected to your parents, right? So being connected to your parents or your caregivers when you're a child is essential. And so as you get older and you recognize, listen, I'm an adult, I'm a fully functioning adult. I can take care of myself. So how do I want to live my life as opposed to the things that are driving me, the things that were once survival for me and are really bringing me down? They're not helping me anymore. I think that that's a huge thing that is really helpful in, in therapy. And yeah. I think one of the things we also talk about in regards to that is what the general public calls expectations. We call unconscious contracts, right? So like we go into relationships with conscious, unconscious contracts. Those are expectations. They're typically not spoken ones, right? So yeah. if I have an expectation, Jen and I own a business together, right? So if I have an unconscious contract, because of that, she should be fully loyal to me and, and never talk back to me or, or never have an issue with something I'm saying. That's not real or fair or true, mm -hmm. right? But if I have an unconscious expectation, if I already put us in an unconscious contract, it means that when Jen does something where she says, hey, I didn't really like that thing you did or this didn't work for me, I think she violated a contract and I see it as a betrayal even though it wasn't. So we can exist together. It goes back to the dialectical, uh, some of the dichotomy stuff is that there's so many parts of all of us. And what are the expectations, the unconscious contracts, the things I'm entering into relationships with? And maybe I need to take a little bit deeper look about what I'm thinking other people should be doing. And then also what am I thinking and the expectations I'm putting on myself? Yeah, that's huge. It's a small reframe, but it can have such a big impact on your relationships, on the way you're seeing things, so many different implications. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And those things can come from our, our families, right? Like expectations that our families passed on to us. They can also come from societal expectations, right? Like what's society tell, what's social media telling me yeah. I should be doing right now? What, um, point in time am I in my life? I think it's telling me I should be in Tulum because everyone seems to be there. I'm getting baby videos all <laughs> over my feed and I'm like, I'm 19 in college. Right. What have I done to attract this? <laughs> I what, need help. It, like, it is the, even the algorithm, right? Like, so like the, it really so is like on a larger thing that we are being influenced so much. 
it's yeah. unbelievable. So that's, those are some other things that we can help you break down because once again, these are so subconscious to us that we don't even realize that we're functioning in that way. Yeah. Right. We yeah. have this maybe like timeline on our lives that we don't realize is there from society, from our families, from, and we're pushing things forward that maybe we don't even want, right. Maybe we haven't yeah. even asked ourselves, do I really want this? Or is this something that society, I, I feel like society expects of me. Are there certain, like, I don't want to use like red flags because it's good to observe these things, but certain thought patterns or beliefs that are associated with having these expectations that people can be mindful of? If you hear yourself saying should a lot, mm -hmm. right? If, if you're saying if, I should do this, go ahead. Em. Disappointment, resentment. If you feel a lot of disappointment in relationships, a lot of resentment in relationships, then you're doing those shoulds, just like Jen said, right? That like, yeah. it, because you're putting all this stuff on other people. So if you find like, why am I not happy? And right, like, am I causing my own suffering in some ways? Yeah. You're shooting all over yourself. I love it. I love it. No. And I think that's one of the biggest things for me, especially it was that I did cause a lot of my suffering. I got in my own way a lot. And that takes a lot of undoing. It's like belief systems, it's relationships, it's behaviors, it's all of those things. And having that therapeutic relationship to help work through that is huge. Coming full circle, we talked about how therapy is for everyone. Are there certain things that people can be aware of to be like, therapy might be helpful, whether it's different relationships or they're struggling with a behavior or a belief or emotions that would clue you in to be like, you know what, it could be helpful to get support. Yeah, I think therapy really is helpful for everyone, whether you're having red flags or not, yeah. right? But I think the seven things is, if I end up disappointed in my relationships, if I end, end up resentful, if I find myself irritable often, if mm -hmm. I find that I either lash out or shut down both are re emotional reactions, like yeah. I think sometimes we think only lashing out is the emotional reaction, but also if you shut it down, if I'm an imploder versus an exploder, all of those are times to be like, you know what, like it could be cool to process this out with someone. And it's not the same as talking to your friends. So often people are like, oh, but I have my friends to talk to. That's the blind leading the blind. Absolutely yeah. not. We are <laughs> Would you go to your friends? Especially like, as you teenagers. Had, like, yes, well, yeah. like, also, like, would you go to your friend if you had like, you know, like, I guess if you're probably really yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. No. I don't know. Man, I was like, I don't know, man. So in this day and age, some people are like essential right, oiling up, right? So yeah. like, but like, would you like do things like to seriously think about do I want what's comfortable or do I want growth? Because true, it's comfortable to go to your friends, but is it giving you a different result or is it still the same thing that keeps happening? Yeah. I think rumination too, like being very in your head about certain things can be a really kind of a big, you know, this might be a good time to go to therapy. If you just find yourself not in the present moment and, and more so in your head a lot, rethinking things, thinking about things like kind of battling your own mind, that might be a good time to go to therapy. Yeah. There's another thing that I love to mention that I learned in my normal psychology class, which is that people that present with extreme symptoms and presentations they tend to seek treatment very quickly and they're able to get support they're able to go into remission is not the right word recovery whatever it is a lot quicker than people that are presenting in a much smaller way it's not ex completely derailing their life but it's having negative impacts and it ends up lasting for decades and having much more detrimental impacts because they're like well i don't need treatment yet i don't need therapy i don't need support it's not that bad and in some ways it becomes so much more severe because it impacts so much more of your life because you haven't gotten that support 
that is so true right and i think a lot of it has to do with are you high functioning right like there's people like you know you could drink a lot be a high functioning alcoholic you can have be a high functioning eating disorder you can have high functioning depression and when you're still functioning in the socially appropriate mainstream way which first of all we have a sick society like you're like obsessed with productivity like right like just because you're like normal in this society like isn't meaning shit so (laughs) right so like if i'm having all of these things how high functioning am I? It's so true. People are to come in less and they think like, well, I can get out of bed. I don't have depression. That's not what this looks like. And so some of these, and that's also how I think TV and movie has, has really displayed depression, which is not accurate for the majority of people who Mm -hmm. would be diagnosed with depression. And, and I think, you know, part of this, just as we were talking about in couples therapy, like dig, destigmatizing the conversation around just going to a therapist, right? At any point that it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, at this breakdown, right? That if you're battling your own mind, if you're struggling in your relationships at any point, it can be helpful to go to therapy. Yeah. It's such a great resource. And I I completely agree with you guys with what you guys said that therapy is for everyone and you can find some benefit with some therapists because there are like endless possibilities of what you can work on, what you can dive into. And it's all what you want to bring to the table. Like, again, there's like no set. This is what you have to focus on. This is what you have to talk about. Like it can be anything and everything that's important to you. And that's what makes it so amazing. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you guys so, so much for coming and setting down for this conversation. I know it's going to help so many people. I absolutely loved it. Where can people follow along with your content? You can find our podcast uh, anywhere that you listen to your podcast called Shrink Chicks. We also have a therapy practice called the Therapy Group. We're currently seeing our clinician. We have 30 clinicians. They're seeing clients in person in our Westchester and Philadelphia offices, also doing virtual in Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, Delaware, New York, Massachusetts, Florida, and California. So if you're from any of those states, it's all those places. (laughs) You can, you can fill out a contact form and we can set you up with the therapist. Um, and I think that's it. And we got anything else? No, that's it. Go to therapy, go to yourself, change yourself. Go to therapy. Yes. And and Sadie, thank you so much for just like creating this platform. I wish I was as confident in myself and just did the amount of work that you did it at wasn't your age. always like this it was I, a lot of work you it's, guys but know. it's incredible it really is incredible what thank you're doing you. we appreciate you I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of She Persisted. If you enjoyed, make sure to share with a friend or family member. It really helps out the podcast. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also make sure to follow along at at She Persisted Podcast on both Instagram and TikTok and check out all the bonus resources, content, and information on my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. Thanks for supporting, keep persisting, and I'll see you next week.